I don't know if this has ever been your experience or not, but I've noticed in life whenever I give a command, it's usually followed by a question, why? When I was a high school English teacher, if I issued this command, okay, for homework tonight, do all the subject verb agreement exercise on page 72 and 73 in your grammar book, why do we got to know grammar? Well, that's one reason right there. (laughs) Secondly, because I'll give you a zero if you don't do your homework. But neither of those answers are really very inspirational. And, and so I knew if I really wanted to inspire these students to learn subject-verb agreement, I needed to paint a picture for them of a potential future that might be theirs if they learned subject-verb agreement. And so I would do that. Well, if you learn this, then you're going to get this job. And this job is going to allow you to move out of the holler. And this job is going to enable you to have a nice house and, and buy lots of four-wheelers because that's what they wanted in West Virginia. A bunch of four-wheelers. But in order to get that job and do all these things, then you need to know how to speak sentences with subject-verb agreement. And you need to be able to write those sentences to get that job and to keep that job to get that life you want. Right? And so then they would be inspired, maybe, to do their grammar homework. Well, this is what God is doing in this blessing on Zebulun and Issachar. Last week... We heard the command that God issued through this blessing, rejoice. Now that's enough. It's all God has to do, right? He gives the command and and we just obey it. But but God does more than that here. He answers the, the why question. He paints this compelling future picture of what will be a reality for these people if they rejoice always. Because here's the thing, God wants his people, you and me included, to know how joy builds the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to see this morning, how our joy can build the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 33rd chapter. And once you've found your place, either in your Bible or the pew Bible in front of you, I'm going to ask you to stand As we hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 33 beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And now verse 18. About Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and you, Issachar, in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain, and there offer sacrifices of righteousness. They will feast on the abundance of the seas, on the treasures hidden in the sand. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, Father, once again, we thank you for your word. As always, what a gift that we hold truth, ultimate truth in our hands. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that helps us comprehend what is so often incomprehensible to us, who you are and why you would do the things you do for us. We thank you now for time around your word together and we pray, Spirit of God, that you would be our teacher. Reveal truth to us and give us the ability to order our lives 
in accordance with your truth and to do the things your truth calls us to do and to be the people that your truth calls us to be. So we submit ourselves now to you to do what only you can do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. If you were here last week, we began looking at this blessing. We looked only at 18, verse 18, and the command there to rejoice. Specifically, we saw that these two tribes were called to rejoice in their work. Whether their work called them away from home and they're going out, or whether their work uh, allowed them to stay closer to home, wherever they were called to do, and whenever they were called to do it, God's command on these tribes was to rejoice. Now here is true confession time. How many of you, you know, any of you whistle while you worked last week? Please raise your hand if you whistled while you worked. All right, anybody whistle in your mind while you worked? Why am I here doing this? Did nobody whistle while they worked last week? Not enough of you. Hopefully, you can do it this week, okay? I'll ask again next week. Oh, I won't be here. You're off the hook. Hopefully, your rejoicing was not necessarily in the job you were doing. Hopefully, your rejoicing is in who you are while you do that work. Remember, we know where we're from. Born of God. Sons and daughters of the living God. That's where we're from. We know where we're going. Even right now, in the moments I'm speaking these words, Jesus himself is preparing us a place in heaven. That's where we're going. We're from the Father. We're returning to the Father, and we know the power that's ours, right? The Holy Spirit indwelling his his people. These are reasons for us to rejoice. We also saw last week, beyond this very specific call to rejoice in your work, we saw that The poetic form of this blessing is really a call for all of God's people to rejoice in all of life all the time, in our going out and our coming in. Whether you're coming or going, when you're coming or going, you and I are to rejoice, right? Because I know where I'm from, I know where I'm going, and I know what my power is. And so we keep those truths in front of us And you and I are able to be joyful no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Now, that was verse 18. Then this morning we come to verse 19 and we discover that a change has taken place. Something has happened between the end of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. It's almost as if some time has elapsed and some living has taken place. So look again at these these verses. Verse 18 is in second person, you. Verse 19 switches immediately to third person plural, they. Verse 18 contains a command form of the verb, rejoice, while verse 19 switches to the imperfect verb form. Now, pry your eyelids open and, and let's see why this is important. Just in case you didn't do your grammar homework last night, I'll remind you that the imperfect form of a verb indicates incomplete action. Therefore, that action that is not complete is ongoing. It can be past, present, or future action. 
And so here's what's happened. We have moved along this continuum of a present command, rejoice, that impacts future activity. See, Zebulun and Issachar have been rejoicing like they were commanded to in verse 18. And that rejoicing has defined their lives and what they do so that verse 19 uh, describes what these people do. Look, Look in verse 19. Rejoicing people, they will summon peoples to the mountain and there offer sacrifices of righteousness and feast on the abundance of the seas and on the treasures hidden in the sand. I like the New American Standard translation of this much better because it consistently translates all the verbs in the form that they appear, which is the imperfect form. And so it reminds us that what's described here, it's ongoing behavior. And so the NAS reads like this. They shall call people to the mountain. There they shall offer righteous sacrifices. For they shall draw out the abundance of the seas. So if you notice, there are three activities listed here that describe what joyful people do. Joyful people worship. Joyful people evangelize. And joyful people give generously. Now let's consider these three activities in these verses this morning. Let's begin with the first one. It says that these joyful people will summon peoples to the mountain. The mountain here probably refers to Mount Tabor because Mount Tabor is on the border between these two tribes and the land that they're going to inherit. And we know that Mount Tabor became a, a famous place of worship. It was a worship center. Years before there was ever a Jerusalem or a temple, people worshiped on Mount Tabor. And so this is a summons for people to come and worship together. And that's what people who intentionally rejoice in all of life are eager to do. They are eager to worship. They're eager to share their joy with others. Because that's the nature of joy. Joy is to be a community experience. It was designed to be that way. Listen to what Jesus says in some of his parables. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in the joy of your master. See, here's God's invitation for people to come and share in what? His joy. Joy is something to be shared. Those three really famous parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, they invite people to come and share in joy. That very joyful shepherd He found that one sheep that was lost. And when he found it, he said, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep. That very joyful woman who lost that coin that she needed when she found the coin, what did she say? Rejoice with me for I found my lost coin. And that very joyful father whose prodigal son had returned said, let us have a feast and celebrate. See, joy, by God's design, is to be shared with others. And so we have to believe that intentionality in rejoicing, in recounting all the reasons 
that they had to be joyful in the Lord was an experience that was so good that Zebulun and Issachar had to invite others to the mountain, to the place of worship, to share in their joy. And once they arrived, what did these people do? They offered sacrifices of righteousness. That's what verse 19 says. They gave right sacrifices to the Lord. The sacrifices of these rejoicing people, they weren't rote. They weren't heartless offerings. Those would come much later. People would come to worship. They would bring sacrifices out of obligation. This is what the people said in the day of Amos, the prophet. When will the new moon, I got to read it like that. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market our wheat? See, these people did not want to be in worship. They felt obligated to be at worship. They couldn't wait for worship to be over so they could go on and be about their business, which was not worship for them. Now imagine that kind of person ever inviting anyone to come and worship. And imagine how joyless that invitation would be. Then we move ahead to the, to the day of Isaiah. When God says during his day, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. See, they were worshiping. But the worship was rote. The worship was meaningless. It didn't engage their heart. It wasn't a joyful meeting between God and his people. We get to the day of Malachi. And people were bringing blind, lame, and diseased animals for sacrifice. And they came to the table of the Lord and they profaned it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. What a burden. And they sniffed their noses at it contemptuously. Rejoicing people do not offer sacrifices like that. They don't come to worship because they they have to come. Rejoicing people come to worship because they have to come. They have to have an outlet for the joy that wells up within them whenever they consider in their coming and their going the goodness of the Lord and how he has blessed them so richly. And so these joyful worshipers will summon others to that worship. Very specifically, the Hebrew word here used for summon, it means to summon, to call, to invite, but very narrowly it means to invite, to eat. So there's a beautiful picture of a community event. People gathering by invitation around the table. Participating in these feasts that the Lord has prescribed for his people. And so this gives you and me a lot to consider this morning. Worship, your worship and my worship. It can go on regularly but not be right. Our worship, your worship, and my worship can go on regularly, week after week, but not be meaningful. It's the rejoicing that you and I do while we work. It's the rejoicing that you do in all of life when you go out and when you come in. 
It's the constant joy of remembering where you're from and where you're going and what your power is that draws you to worship. That makes you say with David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we'll participate in imperfect worship. And I don't mean that as a diss on your singing, which is wonderful, or anything else that happened here this morning. It's just imperfect worship, reflecting the imperfect tense of the verb that describes it. It's an activity that's not complete. It goes on and on and on. Joyful people, truly, can't get enough of worship. Joyful people are not asking a question, when is this going to be over so I can get to the beach? I mean, I hope you're not asking that question. You should be asking that question. Joyful people are always eager to anticipate the next time of worship, the next time around the table of the Lord that allows them to share their joy in the Lord with others. And so if you and I want to worship rightly, then we've got to be rejoicing regularly. Monday through Saturday's rejoicing, that's what primes you. That's what gets you ready to worship on Sunday morning. Look, you expect way too much out of a one-hour worship service or a 90-minute worship service if you've not been preparing for it all week long. And you don't bring to worship for the benefit of yourselves and for the rest of us here all that you could bring if you were rejoicing regularly, preparing all week. So I need you to rejoice And you need me to rejoice so that we as joyful people do what is right and pleasing to the Lord here on Sunday mornings and are eager to call others to participate in it. So first... Look again at verse 19. Now we're back. They will summon peoples. Only part about my job I don't like. Is, hey, now we're working again. All right, we're on. We're on evangelism, okay? Just to keep, uh, keep, keep us. 